All right, got all the way. This morning I'm speaking on the idea that loved people love people. Loved people love people. You're probably familiar with this phrase, hurt people hurt people, right? You've heard that before, that those who are abused are typically those that perpetuate abusing that those that are bullies typically are victims of bullying themselves. And we've seen this cycle come through time and time again. You don't just have to look right now in schools. You can see it in workplaces. You can see it in history. And I am of the conviction that if this is true, the opposite must be that much more true. If it's true that those who are hurt are, are perpetuating hurt, it has to be those that have been loved with an eternal godly love are those that are going to perpetuate love in this world and on this island and in our workplaces and bring to the broken places God's love. If we are a people that were called by love, our lives should reflect love. So if you're here this morning and you find yourself uh, in a relationship that maybe you're dealing with, I don't know how to, how to uh, share godly love with this person, or maybe you're in a relationship conflict, or, or maybe you're struggling, you want to minister to someone at your workplace or to a family member, I think this one is for you today um, because I believe this is the answer. But we're going to open up first in Scripture in the Gospel of Luke, and it's Luke 10. It's a really uh, uh, familiar passage for those of you who have been in church. Um, and most of my, my uh, Scriptures today are probably pretty familiar because it seems like love is a pretty pervasive theme in the New Testament. But let's read this. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, meaning put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And this is where the guy messes himself up. He says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by a chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw this man beaten, broken at the side of the road, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, uh, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And the lawyer replied, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. A man, a lawyer comes to Jesus, someone who knew the law comes to Jesus. And he says, uh, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Now, right here, we have to remember in the first century, similar to today, how there are different denominations of Christianity. There were different groups of Judaism that existed. We read them in the New Testament, right? There are are Pharisees, there are Sadducees. I just mixed the two together. There are Pharisees and Sadducees and Essenes and Zealots and Sicarii. There are all these different groups that believe different things. And so a big debate in Jesus's day was eternal life between two groups of uh, a Jewish, between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So this man comes to Jesus initially with a question that we kind of get a glimpse into what he's believing. He's trying to be on the same page as Jesus saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Meaning there is eternal life. And so Jesus asks him, he says, "Um, what do you believe? What's written? In the same way he asks, how do you interpret the law? What's your way? He's still kind of in this Jewish debate with the guy going back and forth with this lawyer. What do you think the law says? And, and, and the man answers very uh, appropriately for the day. He says, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It kind of resounds of the Shema, the Jewish prayer, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. It rings true of the day. And so they're kind of on the same page. Jesus is like, listen, you're right. Do this, and you'll inherit eternal life. The man does mess himself up, and, and, and Luke recognized this. He says, the man desired to justify himself, meaning he understood what the law said, but he didn't want to necessarily do what the law said. And so he says, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus then goes on to tell a story, and this is our issue, I think, sometimes reading these uh, in, in 21st century, 2,000 years after the original authors wrote these down and Jesus spoke them, is that they don't hit the same way that they hit then. Because we read this and we know about it. We know about Good Samaritans. Companies now exist with that name. But in Jesus' day, that, this was a shocking story. He tells a story of a man that was beaten in the side of the road and, and a priest comes by who obviously the priest is going to help him, right? Obviously a priest is a good person. So when the priest walks by... The entire crowd, they just go, (gasps) they gasp, they suck air. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. And so Jesus then says, but a Levite came by. And they're like, oh, okay, he's trying to compare two Jewish leaders. But the Levite then passes by. And the whole crowd is like, wait, what is this guy saying? What's he talking about? And then Jesus says a Samaritan comes by. A Samaritan was like the unspoken name, right? That's someone you do not mention. That is not someone who would ever be a neighbor. And Jesus, of course, goes on to tell a story where the neighbor is not a person that you ought to love, but a neighbor is who you are. It's not something where I look and I pick and choose who I am to take care of. I pick and choose who it is I get to show God's love to. A neighbor is I am internally a neighbor, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That, 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 that's what the scripture says. And if our job is to be like Christ, we can't do this until Christ reaches us. See, I, I don't believe this man could have really resonated with a Samaritan. I think we can today because we, we're, we're so far removed from it. But I think when he heard Samaritan, that's such an otherness to them. That was such an otherness to him. And I think first, before we look at it, we have to look at it as a third party. You cannot, and this we learned from the life of Christ, we cannot show love to our neighbor until we've truly been loved and received the love of Christ. Our ability to give is predicated on our ability to receive and what we have received. 
We're all familiar with Matthew 7. I think even if you haven't been in church, you've heard this one. It says, Jesus is talking, it's a Sermon on the Mount. He says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I think this has been misinterpreted for a few things, because just before this passage, Jesus says uh, the words, sorry, and I, of course, I did this in my notes. He says, judge not that you uh, will not be judged. So we'll often take this as, listen, You ever hear someone say this? You don't have to raise your hand if it's you, but listen, I'm not Jesus. I'm not here to judge. You ever hear someone say that? You ever say that yourself? It's okay. You're right. It's not our job to be the judge, but this is not a scripture that's light on sin. This isn't to ignore that we all need the transformation from Christ. And I think it's been misinterpreted that way. That, you know, listen, I got my stuff, you got your stuff, so let me just take care of my stuff. You do you, whatever you choose to do, it's your life. And we kind of put this wall up when Christ has called us into society to bring transformation, not just in ourselves, but in our land. So I think it's been misinterpreted that way. I think it's also been misinterpreted, maybe a little less, but to say, listen, once you're perfect, you can, you can say whatever you want. Or once you reach a certain level of Christianity, you know, like the level up mindset, you're like, once I'm in it long enough, then I get to, listen, I've been around the block a few times. Listen, I'm 27. You know the amount of times I hear, listen, this gray hair matters. Sorry, that was more sarcastic than I meant it to sound. But it's true. We reach this place where we're like, I'm holy enough so I could just say it. I've been there long enough that I could just say it. It's also not saying that. The scriptures say we need to speak the truth in love, right? Jesus came, in John it says Jesus came full of truth and grace, We aren't to take this log out of our eyes so that we could be holy enough because if we reach that place, you know what we're still filled with? You know what still fills our vision? is pride. And you know what pride does? It clouds us up even more so. Jesus says, pray that the, uh, first remove the log from your own eye so that you can see clearly to remove the speck. We remove the log, not so that we reach a certain level of perfection, but so that we can see clearly our neighbor, so that we can see clearly what's actually happening behind the scene. God wants to give us vision. So our prayer needs to be that our vision would be restored, that we would pray that our own bias might be revealed first. I know for me, this has happened. You ever have to deal with someone that you're like, I don't know if I have the grace right now for this? You know, Galatians says each man's been appointed a certain measure of grace, and you're like, I don't think I got that measure of grace, so I don't know what I'm going to do. You know what I found? It was advice that was given to me, and I found it helpful. I just set an alarm on my phone every day for that person. It's a five-minute alarm. I don't, if you try this, don't put their name down on there, because then it'll pop up and they might see, but you just put their name down. And just for five minutes every day, I'm just going to pray a blessing for this person. I'm not gonna pray, God, change them, fix this, they're unbearable. I'm gonna pray, God, touch their homes, bless their families. Holy Spirit, I pray today that they would have vision just as I need to see clearly. God, help me to see what you see in them. Just blessing, just vision. And watch as the Lord begins to transform your eyes as you're dealing with this person that might be a little more difficult than you'd like to be dealing with. Our reach has to be rooted in the fact that the effects of sin are detrimental. Not just that, we prefer that people don't sin. 
If we really believe the word of God, if we really believe, like I just quoted from Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount is full of rules. Jesus walking through uh, the Old Testament law and, and interpreting them for his day and for our day. If we really believe that something is a sin, we don't just believe that it's wrong in God's eyes, but we believe that the things that follow it actually will negatively affect our lives and our neighbor's lives. Something like lying that is a sin, right? It's like, well, it's not that big a deal. I just want to protect them, right? We'll say that, I just want to protect someone, I just want to protect myself. But what happens when you lead on and on and on a lie or something that's false about someone? These are things that, that the effects of it can go so much further than the act of sin. Ephesians 4, 15, it says, speak the truth in love. That's a command for neighbor. We cannot ignore truth. Pastor Zarlingo, actually, he often gave this advice, which is when you're speaking the truth in love, the truth is the content. You can't ignore the content. What has to be said has to be said. The in love is the location, is the demeanor, is the context, is the time, is the place. It's all those things. We have the ability to speak the truth in love, but we have to figure out what the in love means. If Jesus did come full of truth and full of grace, that means truth without grace is not transformative. Because it's not Jesus, and only Jesus can transform. Truth without grace is not transformative. In the same way, grace without truth is not transformative. If we are tr it is when we are truly transformed that we can walk through transformation with others. Genesis 1 um, well, it says something really wild about people. It's like the first page of the Bible, right? Well, first you have all like the, this is the Holy Bible. These are where the chapters are. But then it says, God created man in the image of God. He created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's on the first page, right? In the image of God, man was created, and I think we believe this for some. I think in our own lives, probably, it's one or the others. You either can believe that you've been given an identity from God, or you believe the exact opposite. But I think we can believe for some. We could show grace for some. But when it comes to others, and you know who the others are. I'm not going to name an other for you, because you know for you what that might mean. And that would be super rude if I just started naming them, right? But for others, I think we tend to... Well, dehumanize. We keep people at an arm's length so that we can say what we want, believe what we want. We do this with public figures, right? We do this on social media when we comment on people's pages that we may not know. There's no repercussions for it. I hope no one ever finds the messages when I was in junior high school uh, for the New York Jets and the Mark Sanchez, the second half of the Mark Sanchez era. We say these things online that we could say whatever, whatever we want with no repercussions. Honestly, we do this on Facebook. We talk online in ways that we would never talk to another human being in real life, right? We dehumanize. We even do this to other Christians. In our broken humanity, we choose to look for otherness instead of seeking the shared image of God hidden beneath the dust and dirt that comes from living in a broken word, world. I'm gonna read that again. In our broken humanity, we choose to look for otherness 
instead of seeking the shared image of God hidden beneath the dust and the dirt and the brokenness that comes from living in a broken world. I think that's our first move often. And I'm not saying, listen, hear me clearly, I'm not saying we affirm sin or we affirm things that are wrong, but we need to begin by seeking the same thing that gives us grace for ourselves and our circle. We have to begin in that place. But I I have to be honest, this wasn't supposed to be a message about loving our neighbor or a pep talk or something. A few years ago, I read an article about this guy named Ebenezer Byers. He was alive in like the 30s. And uh, he was a semi-professional golfer. And one day while he was golfing, or they said he might have been on a train or whatever, he hurt his arm. He injured his arm. And so he went to see a doctor. And the doctor prescribes him a medication called Radithor. Radithor was the name of the medication. And he takes it. It's like a bottle a day, right? So he drinks one bottle feels amazing. Whether or not it was placebo effect or it was whatever, he felt amazing. It was to be like an Advil. So the guy takes a bottle a day. He feels good. The next day, he keeps taking medication. Uh, He's like feeling younger. He's feeling more confident. So he eventually takes two bottles a day and three bottles a day. After a few years, he he stopped taking the medication. Um, The reason was that the active ingredient in Radithor was radium. And uh, he actually was uh, uh, ca- causing himself to become radioactive. It was eating away at everything. And, and the graphic I- image by the end is that his jaw actually deteriorated so greatly that it just fell off. I read that story, and honestly, I admit, maybe it's just because I'm a preacher, but, but I couldn't help but think about my own life and about my friend's life and, and our church's life, that the things we consume always find their way to the surface. The things we take in, they always find their way to our hands, to our heart, to our mind. So what are you consuming? What am I consuming What are we consuming as a church body as we walk out these four walls? Is a one-hour sermon at the beginning of your week sustaining you through a week while you consume everything else? Because I look around and I see in the world right now, people are consuming fear. Everything comes from this place of fear. We watch the news, and it could be big things, or it could be like 500 G&E dryers exploded in the last week. And I'm like, babe, do we have a G&E dryer? And it's like, it was 500, like it's like these things, but they know that it's just we want, it's all the clickbait on the internet, right? It's those random ads that get you. And somehow we just consume fearful information and it becomes who we are. And then you know what happens? We act out of fear. And our hands look like fearful hands. And I'm not just talking about apprehension. I'm talking about actually harming others because we're so fearful. How about anger? And when find yourself that you're just consuming anger, whether it be in the workplace, the stress, you don't have a good place to de-stress, and so you're finding all of the wrong places to de-stress. The Lord is calling us back to his presence, and I'm not talking about wishful thinking or positive thoughts, or I'm not saying we should all just cancel our subscriptions to whatever news source we have. We have to stay informed, but if that is the only thing that we're consuming, if that's the only thing we're taking in and we find it is dominating our thought lives, then it's gonna be impossible to reach this world with love because all we're filled, filled with is fear. And band, you guys could start coming up. I'm gonna close in a few moments. Psalm 121 reads, I lift my eyes to the hills. 
Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Where are we looking to? Where is your help from? Where's our help from in this season? Are we finding that we're filled when we consume media? Are we finding we're filled when we watch an extra hour of Netflix? Are we finding that we're filled if we could just capture an extra hour of sleep or something? What is it that's consuming our mind and our thoughts? Because I have a feeling our hands are looking like the same thing. If all we consume is gossip, we like going to work, And we don't want to necessarily call ourselves a Christian because we don't want to have a a loss of witness or something, right? And we're consuming gossip. You know what gossip does to you? It makes you insecure. Because what's the first question you ask when you're around a group of people that are gossiping? I wonder what they say about me when I'm not here. And all of a sudden you act and it becomes worse and worse. But love What happens if we're truly in a daily loving relationship with God that we find that the moments to de-stress, that we find that the moments to release are the moments with the Lord? Oh, when we do that, uh, God's love will transform our lives and then we can move into this world and see the world transformed. I found myself this week reading through the gospels just over and over, just reading through the life of Jesus. Anyone ever feel like you just need to read through the life of Jesus? And I just started reading stories and every, every situation that Jesus finds himself in just makes me more in love with him. I read about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, all we know is that he's short and that he's a chief tax collector, which, was, which means he's a bad dude. It means his job was to rip off the other Jewish people so he would collect the taxes. And let's say, by the grace of God, you owe $5 in taxes. Zacchaeus would come to your house and say that you owe 10 and he'd keep the top half, Right? And what happens? He hears Jesus is coming. He just wants to know about him. And so Zacchaeus, he climbs up this tree. And what does Jesus do? He just beelines. He knew exactly where Zacchaeus was. And he says, Zacchaeus, I'm eating at your house tonight. I want to hang out. He climbs down. He goes home. He makes him a feast. By the end of the night, one night with Jesus, one moment with Jesus, one moment of realizing that he is known and seen. Zacchaeus says, anyone I've wronged, I'm giving back fourfold and I'm giving away half my wealth to the poor. One moment with Jesus, just because he found out he was known. I love the story of Peter when he's called, the way the gospel of Luke talks about it. Peter's called and and he's Simon at the time. They're out fishing and they're out all night fishing and they caught nothing. And so Jesus hops in the boat with them. And he's like, guys, guys, I'm sorry. Uh, you're not good fishermen. The fish were on the other side of the boat. And, and Simon looks at him and he's like, dude, I don't think you know anything about fishing, but let's give it a try. And they say they caught so much that, that they have two boats that start sinking from the amount of fish. And what does Peter say to Jesus? Peter says, depart from me because I'm an evil man. Depart from me. I'm a wicked man. And Jesus says, I'm going to depart from this place. But Peter, I need you to follow me because I'm going to make you a fisher of men. One moment with Jesus that he realizes he is seen and he's known. Look at the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, the place where Jesus should have never been. One conversation with Jesus, one moment where she's in the middle of the day. I think you guys have been in enough sermons that that you've heard this, but just to remind you, she's there in the middle of a hot day because she wants to be seen by no one. And the Samaritan woman, she's, of course, she runs into Jesus because he had to go through. That's what the scripture says. He had to go through Samaria. And so Jesus, just at this well, just starts a conversation with this woman. 
Her life has changed. She runs back. By the end of the conversation, she runs back to her city. She says, come and meet the man who told me everything, the one who knew everything I've ever done. One moment of realizing that she is known and she is seen and she is loved. And no, Jesus did not affirm her lifestyle, but he affirmed her life. One moment. And she becomes an evangelist to her whole city. And Jesus winds up staying in Samaria for two days. I could preach this sermon over and over again because until we get this, we go nowhere. Until our source of identity, our help, our strength, our vision, everything we are comes from the word of God and his voice, we will continue to see the same thing of hurt people hurting people and fearful people installing fear in more people and angry people abusing more people. We're gonna keep seeing that until we, we say, for us, I will be defined by Christ. As I prayed this week, my heart just jumped with what it might mean. What would it mean for us to truly have our starting point be a place of love? Listen, for me, I know I've been there. I know the moments that I've ministered from a place of my own strength. You, pastor, you've done that before? Yeah, I'm human. And I'll tell you what, in those moments when you are ministering with your own reach, you feel the lack of impact. You can feel it clearly. I'm telling you, if you're here today and you've been trying to reach someone, but you're like, you know what? I don't know if it might just be me. It might just be my preference or my bias. It is not until you realize that you are known and loved and your starting place is love that you will see that reach in your families, in your city, in your workplace. When we realize we are known, we're empowered to reach. We reach on our own. It's a finite strength, right? It's only us. But when we're partnered with Almighty God, our hands become His hands. And that's an infinite reach. That's a generational reach. So this week, I'm going to give you one practical thing to do this week. And honestly, maybe even today, I think we don't do a good job of that either. I know sometimes I don't. Sunday morning service ends. I'm like, all right, what's for lunch? Let's go get some sandwiches. And I forget everything that God did. What if we took time this week and we truly asked ourselves in the presence of God, God, what is my starting place? Am I starting from a place of obligation to you? It's not good. Am I starting from a place of preference or bias? It's not good. Or am I starting from a place of love? that I have truly been loved? Have I been truly filled to overflow, not just so that I'm full, but so that I can overflow everywhere that I'm going? Can we do that this week, church? All right, let's stand. We're gonna close with one song. Lord, we thank you for these moments and we thank you for your love. We thank you, God, that at the heart of your message and of your truth is love is a God who loves us and sees us beyond the brokenness. I thank you, God, that even when I was, I made my bed in hell, like the psalmist will say, you were there with me. You saw me. Father, I thank you that, that your desire for our lives is not that we could keep living in sin or keep living in brokenness, but that we could experience true wholeness that comes from knowing you. And so help us to see that this week. I pray for anyone here today that feels alone, that feels like they're not seen, that, that feels like the, the situation they're going through is just them. Father, I pray that this moment in these worship moments, there would be a revelation of you saying you are known and you are loved. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name.